Hi, this is Leslin from Try This at Home. Today, we're asking the question, are you parenting through fear? It may surprise you to know that many of the decisions we make as parents come from a place of fear. There's a healthy way to take this on and some not so healthy ways. We're talking about them. So grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and listen in. When your day goes south or your relationship gets salty, you need tools that will turn it around with decades of experience and a variety of perspectives between them. Leslie Sleesman and Leslin Kantner bring you tips and tricks for solving problems, increasing happiness, and creating your best life. Together, they're sharing ideas you can take home and try. Each week, their discussion will zero in on one idea, one technique, or one activity that has the potential to make your life a little better. And now, here is Leslie and Leslin with Try This at Home. Good morning, Leslin. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to talk about parenting. I think we, we, you and I talk a lot about our children. We do. Yeah. And last week, this time last week, actually, I think it was on National Daughters Day, and you posted the most adorable picture of Paige. Yeah. Um, it was very sweet. I, on the other hand, totally ghosted my daughters on National <laughs> Daughters Day. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> it does. You know, busy lives. And it's not like out of sight, out of mind, but I just didn't, I wasn't paying attention to the fact that it was Daughters Day. Well, and it it's, you know, probably a pretty made up day, let's be honest. <laughs> well, in all fairness, I was just thinking that isn't there like something to celebrate almost every day? National Wine Day, National Craft Brew Day, there National is. Tree Day, National Tarantula <laughs> Spider Day. So in the planner community, there's a ton of sticker shops that sell planner stickers and they have like wacky holidays. And so like literally every single day, there's a sticker for some sort of weird day that it is. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking on some of the stranger ones, but it's like, it's probably national yo-yo day. I mean, they're just like really, really weird and out there. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like the keys to a city, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, somebody get the mayor gives, you know, the local celebrity, the key to the city. So yes. you could, or may, you make it national Tom Jones day. Right. You know? there, and there winds up like being like 47 people with the keys to the city. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder if they actually open anything. I don't think so. The ones I've seen are like three feet long. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're actually talking about fear and parenting. And I said in the intro that a lot of the things we do as parents are motivated by fear. And we've, we've talked about this a little bit just through the years in the sense that, you know, we've shared stories about we were freaked out because of something. Yep. And I had a a neighbor once who, even in the middle of spring or fall, she wouldn't let her children sleep with the windows open Hmm. because she was fearful that someone would come and take her children. Uh, Okay. Now, I used to harass her about this just a little bit (laughs) because I'm like, I'm just not getting the image that somebody at 3 o'clock in the morning is going to put a ladder up to (laughs) (laughs) your kid's window and get in there and carry them down the ladder. Um, I see, I I get not leaving them home alone, but sleeping with your windows open may be a different kind of a thing. Yeah. 
it seems very unlikely that that would happen. Very unlikely. <laughs> as as most of our fears are very unlikely to happen. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I was doing a little editing, much needed editing on my book earlier, and I'm reminded that only 8% of the things that we worry about actually happen. That's very interesting. Isn't it, though? Yeah, yeah. 8%. Yeah, but not surprising, because if I think of all the things that I worry about in a day, like, almost none of it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. But we have a tendency to be afraid that our children are going to make the mistakes that we made. Hmm. I certainly cringe every time I think that my kids would do some of the things I did. Yeah, yeah. My husband and I have this conversation a lot. He was sort of angelic and can do no wrong. Um, and I have no idea if my mother-in-law listens, but I think she still believes that to be true today. <laughs> um, but So you're saying it's only a rumor that he was mm, angelic. Well, no, he actually was. He okay. was a really, really, really good kid. <laughs> and I was a really good kid too, I think. But um, in my high school years, I did some things that uh, my parents never knew about. Sorry, Mom. Although she probably does have some idea now, but <laughs> I I came clean, man. Like in my in my late twenties, I just kind of said to my parents, "Yep, I did this, I did that, I did this," because um, I was tired of holding on to all those secrets. Yeah, yeah. My husband knows all the naughty things I did, and he's like, "I just was at home playing on my computer." <laughs> well, we led very different lives in high school. Well, and I think if you know. If you were somebody who took a lot of risks and they didn't work out so well for you, mm -hmm. you might be concerned that your kids are going to follow in your footsteps. And, you you know, the, when you have kids, you want to protect them. Right. But more often than not, we're protecting them from some false um, threat. Yeah. Most of my parenting fears come from, I guess, not from them, like, making bad choices but like just getting physically hurt mm -hmm. yeah yeah well you know it's it's so fascinating when I when I think about my childhood and then I think about my son's childhood who's your age and then I think about my youngest daughter who's in her just 23 and then your children who are much younger there's such a difference in the way things were done yeah I mean, as a kid, I never wore a seatbelt, for right. example. Yeah. My mom just sent me a screenshot of, actually, that's so funny, a like a, a strap that they came out with. It was an old advertisement for automobiles. Like, it was, like, basically like a leash where you would just attach your kid to this leash in the back seat so they could, like, roam free, but they were tethered. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I'm like, man, <laughs> we've got, like, five-point harnesses that you have to sit in until you're 17 and a half. And right? then, like, the police station has to check them. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Big, now, I mean, I am assu assuming that that all came up about because it saves lives right so that's sure. we have some evidence for that yeah um but i mean when we were kids and we went on a trip we just laid down across the back seat <laughs> fell asleep you know right if we went to the drive-in theater we would fall you know go in our pajamas and pillows and blankets and sometimes our parents would leave us asleep in the car in the driveway <laughs> Right. until morning and we would just wake up and we'd go in the house and it was no big deal yeah yeah I tend to have like I'm 
I long for the days like that that I I never had. You know, like I've never been a parent during that time, but I mm-hmm. I hear stories about it, and I'm like, oh, that would have been so great. I totally could fit into that because I think I have a um, not as much of a helicoptery parent style, which mm-hmm. I, we'll talk about here in a minute. But I I have told my friends before, like we'll go to the grocery store and I'll send my children to go get items from the grocery store. Um, even my youngest, who's seven, well, he's almost seven, but, you know, okay, go two aisles over and get this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my fr- my oldest child will go all the way across the store and get this. And mm-hmm. I, I do that because, A, it kind of speeds things up. Sure it does. But I'm teaching them how to grocery shop, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. giving them something to do other than bug the crap out of me at the grocery mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are horrified that I do that uh, because they think, oh, my gosh, your kids are going to get abducted in the giant you know and i just i don't know that's not a fear i have i I just can't make myself be worried about that well you know on one hand that's good right um because the odds of it happening are low right but if we say that to the one mother whose child was abducted yeah then it feels really insensitive of course right yeah and we're told that the reason we have these fears today is because news um, our access to the news is so much more prolific. Right. And so we're hearing about things that really have always happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but weren't necessarily um, broadcast the way that they are today. Yeah. So kind of like what you were saying to the one mother whose mm-hmm. child was abducted, you know, from the grocery store. Um, that mother lives in a world where abductions at grocery stores are possible mm-hmm. and they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, when I have a story. When I was 10 years old, um, I was at a sleepover, a birthday party for one of my friends. And it was a lot of girls from our Girl Scout troop. There was, a, I don't know, probably like 15 of us, 10, mm-hmm. 15, I don't know. And um, as crazy as this is, we woke up the next day and one of the little girls had died. Oh, my God. At the slumber party, yeah. Um, She had gone into the bathroom, and I think there was, like, she had, like, some heart thing they determined. I don't exactly remember. Like a heart defect? Um, I think, if I remember, it was, like, a virus attacked her heart or something like that. Um, Obviously a very fluky thing. Mm -hmm. And so we thought she'd fall asleep on the toilet, and then Mm -hmm. we got the door open, and then she was you know, blue and Mm, mm, yeah, mm. it was bad. And they had to call the ambulance, of course. And this is before cell phones. So they had to get in contact with all of our parents to Mm -hmm. come over. And then they told us that she passed away. So, you know, I've thought about this a lot over my life because it's obviously a very traumatic, (laughs) yeah, it's a very (laughs) crazy thing that happened. And, um, our, our school handled it pretty well at the time. Like we received counseling in school and, Mm um, I never, really thought much about it until my 10 year old started going to sleepovers Mm -hmm. (laughs) so did you go on other sleepovers when you were a kid or did that kind of ruin you from ever going on sleepovers again no I did I I don't recall uh how like if I took a break from it around that time I'm my guess is that no one's parents was too eager to have a sleepover probably after that um, but I remember it in my, you know, going across the street to sleep at my best friend's mm-hmm. house all the time. So I know I definitely did. Um, and obviously that is like a one in a million. I mean, it's probably, it's probably, you know, happens less than one in a million times. Right, but right. Um, in my world, 
people, kids can die at sleepovers. Mm-hmm. That's, you mm-hmm. know, that's something that I And so that's something that you're afraid of. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say that I'm, well, I, I probably have a I fear. thought about it a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. when Henry was going, um, my oldest was going to sleepovers. I'm like, oh man, because it's also like he's the exact age, mm-hmm. you know, so you're just like, this is like, wow. And mm-hmm. then I think about like, okay, I'm like, my, my parents are actually younger, mm-hmm. Um, than I am now when this happens. So it's just like weird to think of it from like the other side kind of. Um, but I still obviously let my, my kids go to sleepovers. Yeah. Um, because kind of you, you talked about this a long time ago. I look at the probability of it happening. Right. Right. And that I know is so, so slim. Right. I'm reminded of, I've really only ever fainted twice in my life. Okay. Both of them were when I was young, probably younger than 12. And both times I'd gotten up, jumped on my bicycle, and headed out for a ride. One time I, I it was first thing in the morning, I'd had a sleepover and I got up early and I was going to ride my bike down to the bakery and get donuts. Right. And I don't remember what the second time was, but it was another, I don't know why I was on my bike early in the morning. But ultimately, I concluded that if you get up and you exercise hard without <laughs> eating breakfast, you faint. Then you're going to faint. Yeah. So I've always required when my kids were little, I always required them to have breakfast. Right. You know, or to drink a big um, glass of orange juice or something. I'm sure somewhere along the line, I got educated about the reality of why that happened, but right. it's still stuck in my head yeah. that you needed to have something on your stomach before you got up and rode your bike. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about, you know, my example, I, I want my kids to experience the fun of a sleepover. I mean, there is nothing more fun when you are a kid sure. than a sleepover. Yeah. There just isn't. Mm-hmm. And so I would hate for them to grow up as kids that never got to go to sleepovers because mm-hmm. this one fluky thing happened to their mom, mm-hmm. like, you know, so I just, I can't let that get in the way. Yeah, and I think those little kinds of fears are the things that really drive helicopter parenting. Um, so helicopter parenting, if we're going to define it, are those parents who are overprotective and over-involved in children's life. So the, somebody would say, like, it's not my child I don't trust. It's the rest of the world I don't trust. Right, right. You know, I don't trust anybody out in the world. I don't trust people will be, you know, will be respectful of them or look out for them yeah so you are i'm thinking about saying something i'm seeing that you're going to talk about snowplow parenting next Mm -hmm. which is a term i haven't really heard of but when i thought of helicopter parenting i often thought of parents who kind of uh fought all the battles for their kids Mm -hmm. but maybe that falls into the other category yeah so a, a parent who actually goes in front of the kid and dismantles all of the obstacles, that's what's called snowplow parenting. Yeah. It's helicopter parenting on steroids. Yeah. I I see that as like the parents who go to the teachers all the time. This isn't fair. My kid, you know, had mm-hmm. this going mm-hmm. on and um we we had a an incident this morning. My daughter gets little like there's like little dollars from her teacher, these little tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a class economy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if the parent signs the reading log that the child has read their 15 minutes, um, they get 
a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. One of these little tickets. And Paige did not bring her folder home, which is where the sheet is that I have to sign. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I'm, you, I'm not, I'm, there's nothing for me to sign. Sorry, kid, no ticket for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, can you please write a note to Miss Hollick and tell her that I, I read? And she did read. And so I said, all right, this is your one free pass. Mm-hmm. I will write on a piece of paper that you read. And I will also write on the paper that you did not bring your folder home. Mm-hmm. She needs to know the full story of why I'm not signing the real page. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I handed her the paper and looked her in the eye and I said, this is it. Don't ask me to do this again. This mm-hmm. is it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, I'm not saving you again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that we, oh, so this is kind of the beginning of a series of parenting conversations that we're going to have. And. We're going to have a, a whole episode on entitlement and what kind of parenting fosters things of entitlement. We're also going to have another episode, I think it's next week, on parenting fails <laughs> and the guilt that we have over those. Yes. And we may cross, I mean, so many of these things kind of cross over one another anyway. Yeah. But this I, helicopter parents... So let's just kind of think about helicopter parenting. So helicopter parenting would be the one who, when when your daughter comes home and she's upset with her friend, mm-hmm. the helicopter parent may call the friend's mother to say, you know, Susie came home upset today, and I just wondered if you could have a chat with your daughter, blah, 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 blah. Right. A snowplow parent goes right to the other eight-year-old. <laughs> And says, you know, Mary, I don't like the way you treated Susie. That's not how we treat people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, man. So it it really is taking that protective element, but it's it's eliminating barricades. And the real problem with that, I understand people think they are helping their kids. Yeah. But you are helping them right out of their ability to solve problems for themselves. Yes. And that's unhealthy. Yeah. And you can see this starting early. I mean, I I am, like I said, not either of these. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can see which friends of my children have these types of parents. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's, you know, it's, it's depressing sometimes. Yeah. And if truth be told, I probably, I absolutely was not any of these with my son, with my older kids. Yeah. By the time my younger daughter came along, mm-hmm. I was probably a little helicoptery. Um, and it was pro- not because I didn't trust the world. It's because I was exhausted. Mm. <laughs> she was the child who did everything I swore none of my children would ever do. <laughs> And in part, it's, you know, I'm a big believer that she had anxiety from the day she was born. Yeah. And we didn't probably realize that, you know, but it created some attachment, clinginess, some behavioral issues. And we were all kind of exhausted. We all spent our days saying, how can we just satisfy her so that our lives are calm? Yeah. Yeah. And so for that reason... We probably removed obstacles, not to make, honestly, not to make life easy for her, <laughs> to make it easy but for to yourself. make it easy for yourself. Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot. Yeah. I think it happens a lot with the youngest child because, yeah. I mean, I, my 
youngest son is Owen and he, like I said, he's almost seven. And I, I just, I'm tired sometimes or the other two, I'm like, Oh, just, you know, here, here, have it, you know, just because I want peace and quiet. Um, and, and he definitely is a little, he's less mature Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't know how much of this, like his, I I don't want to say his negative, uh, qualities, although Eh, negative qualities where he has room for growth sure let's call it that i don't know how many of those are because of him and how many because i got a little lazy at times yes well and (laughs) you know the the good news is if if my children are any representation the good news is there's a way to mitigate that as they get older right you know but in the beginning when you're young and you've got when your kids are young and you've got a lot going on Mm -hmm. i mean at one point i had three kids under five Right. And that was a lot. That was a lot of energy. And yeah. it took a tremendous amount of perseverance just to get through every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I didn't I didn't work full time. Uh I worked for our, you know, a business that my husband and I owned. So I had some flexibility, which made me very fortunate, but it was still pretty tough. Yeah. All right, so we have helicopter parenting and snowplow parenting, and are are there any other types? Yeah, so there's a term called fuel injector parenting. Now, apparently this term was kind of made up by the person who wrote the book, but it's the idea that life is a competition Mm -hmm. and you need to win. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Sounds very race-like. The term is very, like, fuel injector, like car races you know? yeah and I think that you'll see these kind of parents on the ball field mm-hmm. they might be coaches yeah they might be team moms mm. um their their goal is you need to win now if you take this style of parenting and you put it on steroids yeah they're calling that tiger parenting okay and tiger parenting essentially is when the parent is driving the kid to accomplish the the ultimate right and it, regardless of what the child wants give me an example of the ultimate like how would um, that work for a kid making the olympic team oh okay okay yeah. um getting the the biggest trophy right um winning the the um state championships yeah all right, these are the things, these are the parents or the situations where both in, in fuel injector and in tiger parenting, remember one, the latter is it's the first on steroids. Yeah, sure. It's making sure that you have camps all summer to help you strengthen the skill of the sport that you're in. Right. It's making sure that you have a private coach or a personal <laughs> trainer Right. Or some kind of individualized practice. It's signing you up for all of the extra um, classes that are available. You know, I, through the years, I've known people who were not, and, and no offense, but they were, they didn't have the bodies for world-class gymnasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. And there's just a certain body type that that creates or that's common to all world-class gymnasts, right? They're usually smaller. Yep. They're um, very Mm muscular-oriented, right? 
And I've seen parents who have children who don't fit that characteristic drive their kids to gymnastics classes seven days a week. Right. (laughs) To put them in pre-Olympian sport training camps. Right. Yeah. I think there's value in a lot of those things. Sure. And if the child wants that and they're thriving on it, that's great. Mm -hmm. But if the kid is not doing it for because of personal desire. Yeah. Then it's it's poor parenting. Yeah. My uh, we're a baseball family. My husband is my is Henry, my oldest, his uh, coach. Mm -hmm. He has been for a couple seasons now. Um, And Henry has aspirations to be. Uh, a major league ball player, mm. which I guess could happen. Mm-hmm. The probability of that happening is extraordinarily low. <laughs> uh, and and Henry, you know, I will say he started out really terrible. God bless him. And he worked really hard. And now he's probably one of the best kids on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took him, you know, a couple of years to mm-hmm. get there. And he mm-hmm. really enjoys it. He loves it. And he's so proud that his dad is the coach, Aww. which is just like the cutest thing I've ever seen. Um, but we talk a lot about, you know, that is awesome that you want to be a major league ball player, mm-hmm. but let's also talk about this thing called a backup plan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So getting him thinking about um, that and, and talking about it in, like, I had something that I went to school for that I do not do. I thought I was going to be a journalist, went mm-hmm. to journalism school for a year. I am not a journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband thought that he was going to be an IT. He is not an IT. So everyone, you know, it's mm-hmm. very common, right, to change. And sure. so we talked to him a lot about that. Not to, like, squash his little dream, mm-hmm. uh, but just to we're kind of realistic I guess help him keep some perspective maybe but then uh and if he ever wanted to quit I think we'd be sad just because we all have a lot of fun with it as a family right but you know we let him we let him quit if that was really what he wanted to do Mm -hmm. but then with my youngest it's so funny how you have to kind of straddle different I don't know different disciplines with Mm -hmm. with each kid because my youngest joined Mm t-ball hated every moment of it, <laughs> stood on the field and cried and did the floss a lot <laughs> <That's> um, <laughs> and wanted to quit. He was by far the worst. He just hated it. He didn't even try. He hated it. But we said, no, you are not quitting. You signed up for this team and we are making you follow through with your commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, very painful for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we had to have him follow through. So it's just interesting how you just kind of have to weave in and out of all of these different things. And I can see how it's, it would be very easy to get sucked in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not talking about the parents who, like you are saying, because I, I also said, if you make a commitment to be a part of this team, then you have to follow through with the commitment. Right. Yep. Now, once. Exactly. Right? Once. Yes. Yep. Now, I did make an exception. My, one of my daughters um, tried out for field hockey one year. And so she went to like all of the pre preschool training, yeah, and lost every toenail on her foot <gasps> because oh. of the. Well, I think part of it might have been poor, the poor shoe choice. Uh-huh. But I wasn't going to go invest one hundred and fifty dollars in a pair of sports shoes for a for it for a. Um, a sport that she was just trying, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, she yeah. also happens to be very tall, and she didn't have a, the right length hockey stick. Um, but she literally bruised all of her tone, all of her toes with the amount of work. She cried every day, and I thought, okay, this is not worth this. No, especially not in the, like, preconditioning yeah. phase. So, yeah, so, you know, in that regard, 
I, I allowed her not to follow through with it. Yeah. Now, if she was halfway through the sport or through the season and she was just warming the bench right. and she complained about that, uh-huh. I would have forced her sure. to yeah. follow through with the commitment. Yeah. Um, but because I think I think there's something to be said that. But when you as the parent uh-huh. want it more than your child. Yeah. That's where it needs to be cut off. Yeah. Right. Sure. Because eventually they're just going to be resentful of you. They're going to figure out, probably in pretty quick order, that it's you, not them, that wants it. And that's, you know, you can't live through your kid. Yeah, and I think in, in many in many cases this kind of comes back to the idea of fear, that you don't, you have this fear that your child won't succeed at something. Right. So you drive them, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've worked with children in the past whose parents push so hard for academics um, that the kids just start resisting right you know and again we have all of these um, comments like comments like how come this wasn't an A Mm. right yeah how come you didn't get an A well I got a B plus yeah but how come you didn't get an A if you got a B plus you could have gotten an A right the reality is that's a really destructive comment right you know, the kid got a B plus. The kid yeah. did their best job. The yeah. the only thing I, in my opinion, the only thing that even needs to be a response in that in that particular spot is, did you do your best? Yeah. If they say yes, say good job. Right. We, uh, my son, he is good at a lot of things, and he struggles a little bit in math. He's still an A student in math. I mean, it's just. You know, he pretty, struggles and still gets an A. I know. Isn't that ridiculous? He's just a work for it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he gets, like, lower grades than what I know he's capable of, then I kind of give him a hard time about it. I'm like, Henry, I know you can do this. Like, this is, you know, what, what, I know you can do it. That's the thing. Like, I, you know. But it's so hard because you don't want to be destructive, right, and say mm-hmm. things that are going to haunt them forever and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but you want to be firm and push them and let them know that, you know, you do expect them to try their best. And I kind of just figure that at some point he'll be in therapy for something. <laughs> <laughs> can't, I can't get it right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to talk next week about parenting fails. And so let's save that particular <laughs> right? conversation for then. But it's true that we're we're always really we're probably just making a lot of mistakes along the way yeah you know yeah the other thing i wanted to talk about though is this fear of being judged uh yeah that's a in one. terms of our parenting we brought up some stories a time yeah. or two about being judged as parents and i think that in many cases we're damned if we do and damned if we don't if we don't work we're judged if we do work we're judged if we have our kids in sports we're judged if we don't have them in sports <laughs> Yeah. If we're hard on them, if we're soft on them. And so sometimes we can go to an extreme, an extreme. And when we're afraid of being judged, we, we do things that are not authentic or in, um, ingenuous to who we want to be as parents. Yes, right? I have the perfect example sure. of this. So we have a, a local message board on Facebook for people that live in our community. Mm-hmm. And 
honestly, it is a cesspool a lot of the times. It's just extremely negative and very judgmental. Mm -hmm. And some days I wonder why I'm even on it. But um, there is a lot of chatter, especially during the summer, about leaving kids and pets in cars, Mm -hmm. right, when you're not Mm -hmm. in there. And someone uh, was bringing up, if you leave your pet or your child, any age child, in a car for any length of time, you should have your children and your pets taken away from you. Mm. Okay, so we have this... Big, judgy statement. Big, judgy, broad statement, right? And I commented and said, look, if you're leaving a 10-year-old in the car while you run into the gas station to pee, or you're leaving a 2-year-old in the car for an hour while you go into the mall, those are two very, very different scenarios. They are. And they cannot be judged the same. And really, that's that's it, right? Every single household and family and child and situation is completely different, regardless of how simplistic you try to view it from the outside. Mm-hmm. And it just can't be judged the same. Mm-hmm. It can't. You know, it makes me, it, it reminds me of a, a time, I want to say a, 25 years ago, My son was in elementary school. The nurse called. I was out shopping um, with my two little ones Mm -hmm. who were both in car seats. I want to say they were maybe one and three, Mm -hmm. one and two. They're they're about 16 months apart. And the nurse called and said, your son is sick. You need to come get him. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to the school, the girls were sleeping in their car seats. Right. I had a big old conversion van. I pulled up in the no parking zone of the, in front <laughs> yeah. of the school. Now, it was a city school, so you had to um, like be let in you sure. know, even before that was popular. But right. I left the car running. Uh-huh. I locked the door because they were sleeping. Sure. And I was just going to go in and sign my son out and come back out. Yeah. Right? I came back out. Only to realize that the brilliance of leaving the car running and locked meant that the, my children were now locked in, in the, the car. car. Right. <laughs> I had to call the fire department. Yeah. That was the only way to get them out sure. or to get the car unlocked. Right. Um, the danger of that, mm-hmm. right, is that by the time the fire department got there yeah. and got the car unlocked, I didn't leave the window cracked. Right. Right. right? right. So we weren't in a shut down environment but there's still some carbon monoxide danger there and I felt like a complete and total schmuck of a mom that right. probably I should have saved that story for a parenting fail um, I think we'll both have many other examples to use in that episode I don't think we have to worry sadly that's true um, but that's you know it is I mean I I really thought I was doing the, the right best thing, thing sure at yeah. the moment it certainly seemed like a very bad idea to wake up two babies and carry them into the school with me right. to try to get a kid who was already sick. Yes, I would have done the exact same thing. You know, and and I've told my kids before, like, oh, let it. We just want to stay in the car. We just want to stay in the car. You just run in. All you're doing is getting, you know, a, a cucumber for dinner or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I told them I said I can't. Mm-hmm. I said because. Truth be told, I think it's perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. I think that I can leave my 10-year-old and my 7-year-old and my almost 7-year-old in the car for five minutes while I go in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't do it. I'm not true to my authentic self because of the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you get afraid of the mm -hmm. judgment. That's right. Yeah. And when I think back, I was babysitting at nine years old for little ones. You know, my oh yeah, my parents' friends would put their kids to bed. I would go to their house, which was three or four blocks away from my my house. Right. Sit there by myself, while while they were at my parents' house having sure. fun or playing cards. Right. Yeah. I was alone in the house with infants. <laughs> yeah. And nobody ever said a daggone word. No, I babysat at a very young age. I think I might have been 11 when mm -hmm. I started babysitting. And people were like literally going away and leaving their young kids with me. Yeah. So, and to be honest, I mean, it wasn't that long ago in our history mm -hmm. that girls were getting married at that age. <laughs> right. Now, I know that that's not where we're going with <laughs> sure, this. We're not. Sure. But I think this idea of fear and all the things that could go wrong has taken root in ways that allow some of us to go overboard and create unhealthy environments. Yeah, and I think as a society we see that that I don't I don't know that I have I don't know that I know anybody who would say, "Oh, kids today are so much better adjusted and more responsible and better able to take care of themselves." I kind of think it's the opposite. Hmm, that's an interesting point. I kind of think that kids are more needy and they they just are doing um like personal responsibility is not the way that it was mm -hmm. and so i have to wonder like what have we done in, mm -hmm. in our parenting that has led to that and mm -hmm. i think it's helicopter parenting snowplow parenting fuel injector parenting you know all these all these different kinds of things and parenting out of fear mm -hmm. i wonder how many people parent out of fear of their children not loving them. I yeah. see a lot of people oh, sure. yeah. who who didn't feel loved by their parents. Right. Right. People with abandonment. I'm obviously sure. in my line of work. And yeah, I you see extreme cases, of course. Yeah. And I wonder how many of those people are parenting because they have that experience, right? Mm -hmm. They're parenting that if I do this, my kid won't love me. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible or m more I, I think most people probably parents out of wanting their kid to like them mm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. also I think there's a huge number of people who parent so that they look good on social media mm -hmm. um, which obviously wasn't a thing when I was growing up thank mm -hmm. god yeah yeah. Uh, it, yeah I mean there's there's a lot of things that are different now and who knows how these kids are gonna <laughs> shake out I don't know you know as you say that I think about it used to be that we worried about whether or not our lawn looked as nice as our neighbor's lawn right right mm -hmm. and now it's we worry about do our kids look as successful as the Kardashians Ugh. <laughs> or whomever I mean yeah. just you know I mean isn't that interesting it, though social media yes that our the way that we get information the global access we have to information has infiltrated so pro prolifically that we're no longer just worried about the grass as compared to our neighbor. Now we're worried about whether or not our kids are wearing the same styles that, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. 
It's it my my son uh, his backup plan by the way to yeah to baseball a, to mm-hmm. baseball um, is to be a famous YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> we still have to work on the backup plan concept. I think. <laughs> But he, he uh, might actually yeah. have better odds at being a famous YouTuber, although it, he's not the first person that I've heard say that. So maybe mm. the the field is becoming that saturated. Yeah. Which and you know what? This just brings up another thing like with parenting. Right. So screen time is huge. Mm-hmm. How much screen time do you want your kid to have? Mm-hmm. And look, my kids are better kids when they when I take away their electronics. They just are. I it I hate to say it. They are. And mm-hmm. so. Sometimes when I get lazy, I just do it. I just take it all away because I don't want to deal with it. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's the answer because they are growing up in a time where electronics is just a part of life, and they need mm-hmm. to learn how to deal with it and set boundaries mm-hmm. with their electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking it away, carb wash is not helpful to teaching them how to set boundaries. But um, that that's a whole nother. I mean, gosh, I could talk probably for thirty minutes just on that alone. Yeah, and you know, I want. I, I think we probably need to even address the fear of change. Mm-hmm. You know, how many of us in that particular example, the world is changing, and yeah. electronics are a part of our children's culture. Right, and they're not going anywhere. No, as a matter of fact, they're probably evolving even more intricately. So. Right. If we're afraid of the changes that come about as a result of electronics being a part of our kids' lives, yeah. and we try to mitigate for that, mm-hmm. right, yeah. we're actually not doing them any favors. No. So I think that that actually brings up a really good point. All right. So with all this fear that can creep into our parenting, what do we do to prevent it? Well, first of all, you have to be aware. Like we're constantly saying, awareness is the key. So right. the try that home, the try this at home this week is to think about fear and how it controls your parenting style. Yeah. You have to understand. Now, as we go forward in this series, we'll talk more about healthy behaviors for parents, and we'll try to offer some direction for when those fears really um, take hold. Yeah. And I would just encourage everyone to to maybe sit back and and release the judgment that you have for other parents because as we go through and talking about this, that is never gonna have a place in parenting is judging That's right. other parents. That's right. So that you're absolutely correct. So thank you for that. Um, so that's our discussion for today, folks. Next week, we're going to be talking about parenting fails and the guilt that's often associated with that. We hope that you will join us. As always, we are super grateful that you took time to listen. If you have any questions or comments, we hope you'll reach out to us on our website, www.trythisathomepodcast.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast. And of course, you can subscribe in all of those places where you listen to podcasts. We also, if you're so inclined, would love a review on Apple or iTunes. For now, this is Leslie and Leslin, hoping you will try this at home. All perspectives and opinions expressed during this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. There is no direct or indirect intention to provide psychotherapy or mental health services. If you are seeking counsel for individual circumstances, please consult with a local health professional.